Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, here on WKXL AM and FM and 101.9 FM in Manchester, New Hampshire. We are podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And if you're listening by podcast, please make sure to subscribe and like us. Tell your friends, share about the show on social media. We're brought to you by the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord, New Hampshire. Two great venues with great shows happening all the time. Check out CCANH.com to find out how you can get some entertainment into your life. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the show our good friend Kevin Landrigan, an award-winning journalist, longtime observer and reporter on the New Hampshire scene. He writes for theunionleader.com. Kevin, welcome back to Capital Close-Up. Great to be with you, Paul. Happy so, President's Day. Yeah, happy President's Day. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the perfect lead-in to the first topic I wanted sure. to talk about because yeah. our very own governor, Chris Sununu, made the Washington Post top 10 for president in 2024. Now, some folks in the Granite State may say that's a little far-fetched, and some folks may wonder, you know, I mean, he decided not to run for the United States Senate against Maggie Hassan. He keeps talking about how, how awful Washington is. So what's with this ranking? How did this come about, and what do you think? Yeah, um, well, I think it reflects what we're seeing out there, right, which is... Um, this governor, um, who uh, is is pretty popular and, and is trying to do something that governors in New Hampshire typically don't do, which is get a fourth term this November, um, wants to remake the party uh, and wants to take the party past Donald Trump and uh, is spending a lot of time in New Hampshire, but also in other venues, uh, doing a lot of national media, uh, making some trips, uh, and, and much of it with, um, um, with the message that um, um, the party is just, right now, has been just too overzealous in casting out, you know, anti-Trump Republicans. You know, as um, and we've certainly seen this from Mitch McConnell, who spoke out pretty aggressively uh, in defense of Lynn Cheney uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, uh, Jonathan Martin, New York Times, had a really good story last week about about Mitch McConnell trying to recruit for the U.S. Senate candidates who could represent well the Republican Party after Trump. And one of those candidates, of course, we'll remember was Chris Sununu, tried to get Governor Sununu to run against Maggie Hassan. Um, he decided not to, but um, but certainly um, Mitch McConnell likes that Chris Sununu is, uh, is trying to take the message um, of the party, grow the party, uh, and have a winning positive message that not only can they rebound in the midterms, but then complete uh, complete the job and take the White House in 2024. And um, we, uh, as you know, all too well, with the first in the nation status that we have, 
in both parties in the past, politicians from New Hampshire have been kind of castigated for harboring presidential ambitions, right? I mean, it didn't go well for former Senator Bob Smith, right? When he ran as a, um, a third party candidate for president, Kristen was not interested in doing that, but I make, the, I, I offer that example simply because um, Sununu is really trying to do the unthinkable in New Hampshire, which is to try and have, be on the national stage and actually think about and toy with presidential ambitions when you come from the state that has this treasured pedestal in terms of the nominating process. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, it is. if you if if you think about the list, yeah, uh, of course, sure. Donald Trump, Donald Trump was at the top of the WAPO list. Then you've got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is essentially um, uh, Trump, a Trump, a bit of a Trump light uh, acolyte, you might say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's out. He's out Trump. And you got you got Nikki Haley from South Carolina, former South Carolina governor. Donald Trump Jr., uh, number five. Right. Um, but 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 Sununu was ahead of uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who made pretty clear noises that he was thinking about it. He's behind uh, uh, Governor Yonkin of Virginia, who. Right. Who, right. who got who got into office and then uh, sort of sounding like an anti-Trump and then started trumping his way ar around Virginia. Um, right. And that's what's kind of interesting about the list, Paul, as you point out, is um, um, a lot of these people, they're not Trump-like, but a lot of these people aren't dishing it to Trump like Chris Sununu is, right? Obviously, Donald Trump is, Jr. isn't. Mike Pence you know, uh, has been very respectful of his former boss for the most part, basically said, we're never going to agree about January 6th and the decision I made. But, you know, um, Nikki Haley, the former UN ambassador, um, who's gone to Mar-a-Lago, kissed the ring uh, since Donald Trump made that his, you know, his island in exile right now. Um, he, you know, uh, Ron, yeah, DeSantis, right. Ron DeSantis, his home state governor now, who... Right. Um, who very much, you know, hasn't isn't genuflecting to Trump, but is is very much carrying much the same message, very dismissive of this president, Joe Biden, and um, and wants to draw contrast to him, much like Donald Trump does. So uh, on this list, you know, Kristen Una really stands out. Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, we'll he, see how. We'll see how long it lasts. But he, he really he what he stands out for is that he has, um, among other potential attributes, he has huh. a very kind of uh, regular guy. Yeah. Um, personality um that totally. that's it's authentic it's not yep. it's not put on whatever you think about his policies or his politics um he's a guy who's really hard not to like um he he although he comes from a very successful family and business background he he doesn't come across as 
as an as an arrogant rich guy, he comes across as, you know, hey, here here's a guy you want to have a beer with the yeah. the traditional the traditional test for being president, yes. president of the United States is who's the guy you want to have a beer with. So from a personality standpoint, um, it that's a, a big contrast with a lot of politicians who see themselves as bigger than life and act and act that way. Um, that that could be a real advantage if uh, the Republicans see the, the need to swing back from the gold plated uh, Trump approach to life to uh, to a regular guy. There's that. And then as 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 we've been talking about, you know, you, you've got to um it it seems that there is an undercurrent now in the republican party that is beginning to uh, move away from trump and yep. it it's happening at all levels there've been a number of of defeats by courts uh of kind of uh trump approaches to um redistricting and electoral matters uh, there's beginning to be a kind of undercurrent that, um, without saying it so directly, that maybe Trump is the past, not the future of the Republican Party. There are there are when the Republican Party um, uh, uh, sort of officially said that the January sixth insurrection was just uh, you know you, normal political discourse. Um, that could have been that that may be the 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 bellwether equivalent of defund the police on the left, which really hurt Democrats and legit calling January 6th legitimate political discourse uh, may be the the same thing on the right. But but Sununu has been walking this pro-Trump, anti-Trump um, right. divide um, since us. Uh, since the beginning. I mean, it's not it's not new for him. And he's been he's been remarkably deft about it. And it's um, seems pretty hard for Democrats in New Hampshire to lay a glove on him. I mean, when I read uh, I'm a Democrat and when I sure. get I get a lot of the I get a lot of the, the messaging. They 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 I get it every day. Sure. And it kind of it kind of feels like um, the Democrats are out there uh, swing blindfolded, swinging at a pinata and, and, and it's still swinging. They just can't seem to, to lay a glove on it. They talk about, you know, they, in extreme terms about a guy who nobody thinks is that extreme. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's why in my political column on the weekend, I wrote about Casey Conley, who's a moderate Democrat from Dover, who went on social media after the State of the State speech and basically said to Democrats, hey, kind of gave them a, a, a bleep slap, you know, um, yeah. and said, you know, we've got to come up with our own positive forward thinking message. You can agree with, you know, some of the specifics and how he's taking credit, but that was a masterful speech um, because it, it celebrated accomplishments that had happened and, and the fact that uh, the state, the state's in pretty good shape and he's in even better shape than the state is. And what, what's fascinating to me about this really is, and um, you were talking about moving past Trump, and this is where 
the inflection point is. This, he can be unstable, but he's not an idiot, Donald Trump. And he sees what's going on and it's driving him over the edge. That is to say, Sununu trying to have walk this fine line. And that's why he had his emissary, Corey Lewandowski, down to Mar-a-Lago, and they had a meeting some weeks ago. And Lewandowski recently shared that Donald Trump would love to have somebody run against Chris Sununu in 2022 in the Republican Party. And, and I say that because that's where Donald Trump now is, which is Sununu's not only kind of threading this needle and doing it pretty successfully. Uh, uh, Trump's calling him out and, yeah. and Trump's doing it across the country. Like right. with, like with Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, who's thinking of running for the U S Senate against Mark Kelly, a, a moderate, very popular Democrat. And, but Doug Ducey uh, refused to overturn president Joe Biden's victory in Arizona in the 2020 presidential election. So even though Doug Ducey's a card-carrying, very conservative, fiscally and socially conservative governor, Donald Trump has said, I'd never support Ducey running against a Democrat for the U.S. Senate. And it because he sees Doug Ducey the same way he sees Chris Sununu, as a Republican who wouldn't be there if I hadn't had my successes in 2016, you know, and... Um, and now that I'm I'm out of office, he's throwing me under the bus for his own political ambition. <laughs> well, it 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 could be it could be a it could be a national trend, and yeah. and crazier crazier things have happened. I mean, you know, as as we as you you talked about earlier when we were talking about this here in New Hampshire, sure. yeah. um, you know, folks have looked in the mirror and said, "Well, wait a second, there's a." little bit of a home state advantage here i right. you know <laughs> right. and, uh, i could yes. uh, i could win the first in, in in the nation primary you know the thing about um uh, running for president is um, uh we like we seem to like governors that that yeah. that's yeah. something that's happened um so so that's something in Sununu's favor. He can um, he can talk about all the good things he's accomplished and how he's accomplished them he's been uh, interestingly, fending off the far right of his party, I mean, he could he could point to the fact that that he's been living with uh, right wing protesters protesting him, right, um, right. Uh, if he wants to appeal to the to the moderate so called moderate wing of the Republican Party, he's got sort of his bona fides as having been protested by the far right, which which for who I call Republicans of conscience, he would um, he would say he is one. And the you know, let's um, turn for sure now to the to the state of the state. Sure. Yes. Um, what yeah. was what was your well, we'll get into some of the particulars, but uh, what was your overall impression? Um, it was uh, it was made last Thursday. It was a it was a speeches interrupt us because Gosh, uh, at, yes. at the end of the remarks, there was a, a medical emergency. What what happened? Very scary one, right? I mean, seven term Republican from Litchfield, Ralph Bohm. We really haven't. We still struggle with. Was it a cardiac event? Was uh, was a dehydration? We really don't know. But he just suddenly fell back in his chair and um, 
struck his head. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> you know, thanks to COVID, he struck his head at the Doubletree by Hilton Manchester Downtown Hotel. Now, in the Expo Center. Now, why is that important? Because there's a concrete floor, inches mm. thick. Okay, without without even like a an indoor outdoor carpet on it. So you know and. This is what was so I was in the room when it happened, you know, in the back of the room. And I can tell you, I wasn't the only one who thought when you heard this crack, it didn't sound like a head striking a concrete floor. It sounded like a shot. Okay, And so people, a lot of people reacted like either it sounded like a shot or it sounded like a protester who was slamming something on the floor. You know what I mean? Like a a rock or something to get everybody's attention. and and make us as we've seen in some of these speeches in the past right make a protest point and then be and then be uh forcibly ex- escorted out of the building um, right. but no it was a medical emergency and uh representative Bohm was really swiftly attended to by um by a lot of first responders who happened to serve in the legislature retired physicians uh, gary woods and um Jerry Knurk and 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 nurses like Leah Cushman, um, Mary Mayville from Mer- Merrimack was there as well, who has a healthcare background. Um, see, we didn't have there was not a an ambulance service on the scene, and um, they were there the last time we were at uh, the Double Tree for a couple of days. But um, but this is you know the middle of February, as you know. Um, in uh, the middle of a cold snap, right? And uh, and you're in the state's largest city, translation, a lot of demands on public safety and right. paramedics, you know, that time of year. So they couldn't commit to, you know, yeah, we'll hang out in a hotel center for seven hours while you folks debate everything. So um, um, we waited for several minutes for the AMR ambulance crew to get there, but they did. and. Uh, um, he was kept in overnight for observation, but I'm told um, is is on the mend at home and, and doing good. But um, but it was a scary thing, and um, because, like you said, uh, uh, interrupt this speech, and um, which he never finished. He never actually came back and <laughs> and and um, and put the exclamation point on the speech. Uh, what's interesting about it too was. Um, I'm just trying to call it up while we were while we we're talking. Um, he never got to deliver. I thought, to, at least this was just me, but he never got to deliver the punchline. You know, um, which in, in the speech, right? Yeah, which right. was which was talking about, like I said, I'm going to it now, but talking about radical elements in both parties. Right. And again, right. this is going. This is kind of some of what we were just talking about, right? Which is yeah. As a state, we're moving full speed ahead, but we cannot get bogged down or disrupted by the extremes. We have to have the courage to reject those notions. The citizens of our state did not hire us just to be political ideologues. They hired us to do a job. If you're here to relish the attention over a fight that gets us nowhere, I have no patience for that. I have never and will never let our state be hijacked by these radical elements on either side. Uh, the governor uh, certainly got on that bandwagon. Uh, the transcript of the speech 
which was released by the governor's office because he didn't get to deliver it right after the part that we were talking about, about not letting our state be hijacked by radical elements. He said they let it happen to Washington every day. No one stands up to stop it. But here in New Hampshire, together, we have worked hard to keep it from holding us back. Oh, kumbaya. Everybody, why can't we just get along? And that's the that's the way he has managed to to slip and slide and uh, and Teflon his way through a a a time in New Hampshire when the legislature has been essentially taken over by a pretty far right uh, freedom caucus type type of, of of group of people. And he's managed, it seems, to to kind of skate down the middle. Yeah, it's true, and certainly it's um, as we we were talking about. This is this is a real frustration for Democratic leaders in the state, right? Who l- heard the speech, looked at the speech, and said, you know, but for the work of the all Democratic congressional delegation, Chris Sununu might not have had much to talk about in that state of the state speech, right? Because every time he turned around, he was talking about a success of a program that was created with federal money that they sent to New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, whether it was COVID or the infrastructure uh, infrastructure bill, um, American Rescue Plan Act, um, um, his new initiatives, um, won a $100 million affordable housing fund, which I think we can all agree is a good idea. Um, again, would would come with um, federal rescue plan money. So, um, and you wouldn't be able to chortle about it if uh, New Hampshire hadn't got a lot of that, those discretionary dollars. But uh, uh, so that's, that is a real frustration for him. And he's really effectively, at the same time, to your point, he's really effectively made uh, the leadership in the legislature, particularly the House leadership, um, a foil for him that really um, that makes him look even better, to yeah. uh, particularly yeah. to swing voters. Let's take another example that we saw on the news last week: abortion. I mean, right. this, you know, I mean, this abortion ban he signed into law as part of the two-year state budget last June is no question about it is his Achilles heel as he looks to try and seek a fourth term, right? I mean, liberal groups spent $3 million on television and effectively made this guy less popular, not not alarmingly so, but significantly so, with ads against that abortion ban. Now, um, almost immediately after signing it, he... um, he told me and, and, and other reporters who did interviews with him that um, he wasn't happy with the abortion ban, but he wasn't going to hold the state budget hostage for it. So I would like to I would like that abortion ban to have exceptions to it for rape and incest and fetal anomaly. I would like that abortion ban to no longer have a, a mandate that every woman who seeks an abortion has to have an ultrasound. I don't agree with that. But it was in the package. So let's. Um, so the first week of the 2022 session, 
there's a hearing on a bill filed by six Republicans, uh, moderate Republicans, also all supporting these exceptions. Okay, and Chris Sununu sends a letter to the committee saying, "I support that bill." Now, this bill was heard over the course of I was there three and a half hours. There was testimony for and against this idea. Within 10 minutes after the hearing starts, a member of Sherm Packard's house leadership scurries across the street into the hearing room. Uh, Representative Len Turcott uh, serves on the finance committee. He's, he's in the leadership. Basically said, I'm, represent I'm speaking for the leadership. We're against this bill. We're for the abortion ban. We were willing to support a change in the ultrasound mandate so it only applies when a doctor has reason to think the fetus is 24 weeks, which would mean that the fetus couldn't be aborted under the abortion ban. That's the only time an ultrasound really should have to happen. We support that amendment. Um, two hours into the hearing, the committee chairman says, oh, I've got a letter here from Governor Sununu who supports this bill. Now the Democrats on the committee went crazy and said, you, you made us sit here for two hours without telling us the governor wants this bill. And this is the tension, right? This Because this was the leadership saying to this governor, popular three-term governor, um, you don't run this legislature, we do. You know, you can, you can talk however you want about a bill you want or an amendment you don't. Um, uh, we make the votes. You get to decide at the end with whatever we send you. Um, that's your role. So right after the three-hour hearing, the committee met in executive session and approved that leadership amendment, tweaking the ultrasound. And fast forward to last week, they bring that bill onto the floor. It ends up in a, um, a tie vote. The speaker breaks the tie. So his amendment gets supported. Abortion rights folks um, alertly realize, this is what, the, what a lot of drama. Um, two Democrats were out of the room when that vote was cast. They moved reconsideration. Those two Democrats are back in the room. They reconsider the bill. They reject the House Republican Amendment, they narrowly support the original bill that Sununu wants. And now it's in the Finance Committee. It may not happen, but uh, my point is, odds are it probably won't happen. But there you, there you go, Chris Sununu, right? <laughs> Which is, when you're running for re-election, you can say, uh, I supported reasonable, quote-unquote, reasonable changes to that abortion ban. Uh, and I will keep supporting it. If you give me a fourth term, we'll get this thing done. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it took Democrats to side, essentially side with the governor. Yes. Uh, you know, and so from a political standpoint, um, you know. Yeah. You, I mean, I looked at the roll call. So there's, yeah. literally, there's literally only like 14 Republicans who yeah. supported the governor's position. Every yeah. other vote he got were from Democrats, almost 160 strong uh all democrats supporting his position yeah 
So, <laughs> and so, so what he can say is you can, you see, I can work with both sides. Mm-hmm. I can work with Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to hold up the budget for this, right. for, for this ban, but, but the legislative process is, you know, I know that I can work it through. And here I am a friend of the Democrats and a friend of women uh, yep. doing whatever I can to ease up this, this ban. And, and by the way, uh, just for our listeners, just, yes. just so we know yep. this ban which went in as a, as a budgetary matter um, is a 24 week abortion ban that could uh, see anybody who performs an abortion or helps somebody perform an abortion after 24 weeks in, be imprisoned for up yes. to seven years, fined right. as much as a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, even in cases of rape, incest, or when the baby will not survive outside the womb. I.e., there are no exceptions to this ban and by the way all the all the fetal health uh, specialists all the obgyns everybody says you know the 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 crazy thing about this is is that 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 there are few if any abortions ever performed after 24 weeks it has nothing to do after 24 weeks with this question of choice or not choice, or it, it is only in the most dire of circumstances that some an abortion m- might be performed after this. This is political ideology at its worst, um, is what is what the uh, critics say. Yeah. And as, as critics point out, that this kind of restrictive abortion law, which is very new in New Hampshire. I mean, we yes, have been yes. we have been a leader in moderate, sensible social policies, and abortion is the you know is the hot button of hot button issues. But we have we have always been a leader um, in kind of a moderate. Uh, I won't say liberal, but a moderate approach. And in fact, it has long been consistent with the true libertarian nature of the state, which is, uh, if you're really thinking about libertarian values, to say, keep the state, keep the government out of my personal business as much as possible. I mean, if you're really thinking about what a libertarian ethic is, that applied to woman uh, and woman's choice is, is keep the state out of the woman's, uh, out of the woman's business and uh, it's between a, a woman and her family and her doctors, and it's a medical decision. It's uh, her body, her choice. And that really is in line with a true New Hampshire at, uh, ethos. This abortion ban was a far, is a far right takeover of, of the social issues, which critics are now very concerned about um, because it, it the 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 whole uh, women's health in this area relies on having maternal fetal specialists practicing in New Hampshire. Uh, there are very few of them, and 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 critics are very concerned that this will prevent uh, good specialists, good doctors, from wanting to practice in New Hampshire. Um, imagine being under the gun. Uh, as a maternal fetal specialist and having a patient who 
absolutely for for a medical uh, a serious serious medical reason must uh, terminate a pregnancy after 24 weeks um as as sad and difficult as that is from a medical standpoint it has to be done and you're facing a felony and a hundred thousand dollars in fine who's going to want to come to practice in new hampshire yeah it's a real concern certainly we, we've had in all of these hearings we've had um OBGYNs and uh, fetal health, reproductive health specialists as well, speaking um, pretty uh, passionately about this issue. Because as you point out, well, we we graduate about at, uh, up at the Dart, the Giesel um, School of Medicine about four a year um, um, of future OBGYNs in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, right, and right now, about fortunately right now, about 75% of them, three out of the four, intern in New Hampshire and end up practicing in New Hampshire. Right. And that's so, um, and, that's, and that's basically our, you know, uh, that's our AAA ball team, right? I mean, in other words, we, you know, uh, we need to continue to produce those kind of folks as, as OBGYNs get older and retire and, yeah. uh, and, and some move on. Um, to other states and some moved to Massachusetts, bigger hospitals, um, uh, even more thriving practices than you than you might find here. Um, and it's only an you know it's only an hour to get to Boston from exactly. from from most of the populated parts of New Hampshire people. So so right. so you know I mean we're we're suffering through this back this backward spasm. This regressive political spasm in New Hampshire. And by the way, let's not forget that the executive council repeatedly vote, voted to defund the state's three largest providers of reproductive health. And, and if you're looking at any reasonable policy, you, you've got to understand that care for low-income people, those who may be underinsured or uninsured, um, uh, that kind of short-sightedness leads to later complication, potential complications for pregnancies, which are exactly what you want to prevent. You want to prevent complications. So we're suffering through this regressive spasm. And the governor really is trying to have it both ways. I mean, he show, he is, you know, governors can veto but bad budgets, right? Let, yeah. I mean, let's just be clear. That's that's not the craziest thing that ever happened. Um, he could have vetoed this bad budget, which is what has produced all the all the the, the criticism. And now he's trying to skirt around it. Well, in, in yeah, his, and we saw we we had Maggie Hassan vetoed the budget. Yeah, uh, right. When she was governor, of course, yeah. Craig Craig Benson, the Republican, vetoed the budget when he was governor. Um, so so um, it happens, sure. So, in, you know, if going back to the state of the state, he yeah. he, tout, he touted how great everything is in New Hampshire. He talked about he talked about um, public safety and freedom yeah. and poverty and all those good things. And uh, then uh, he, he also uh, touted all the tax cuts that um, the legislature made. Um, he cut the statewide property tax, rooms and meals, cut business taxes, began to phase out interest and dividends. Um, and yet he says we ended up with uh, a big surplus. How much of that came from from tax cuts? And how much of the surplus and 
money came from because the federal support has been huge um, from the rescue plan, the ARPA funds, from additional educational funding. Um, uh, how much of this is real and, and how much of this came from the federal government? Yeah, a lot. Um, this actually is what, what they call this, you know, this budget surplus and this revenue surplus. And this is actually a forecasted revenue surplus right now. Um, so, um, uh, um, so much of this is real. I mean, in other words, and much of this is not related to the, um, uh, to not exactly related directly to um, uh, all the federal money that's come in. Now you can, here's where you get into the, you know, green eye shade category, okay? Which is, which is the following, which is, um, if you give me $2 billion in, um, in federal COVID relief money, um, does that mean I'm using some of that for purposes that I would have used some of the state revenue for? You know, right. uh, so and it's really that we can't even quantify that yet. We're still we're not we haven't even spent 80 percent of the money the federal government's given us. Right. I mean, we right. still right. There's still that's why he's got this hundred million dollar housing fund. I mean, and, there's still and, and, there's and still that, a lot of money on the table. that's still right. being spent. So well, at some point we'll be able to quantify that. But right. Not yeah. right. We really can't right now. But we well, suspect you know, that, that we certainly suspect that a lot of that largesse from Washington uh, has uh, has prettied up this pig, you know, right? I mean, right. that probably has the surplus bigger than it otherwise would be. But there isn't any question that it there is a surplus. But, and by that, I mean that economically, I mean, we're now under, again, we're now at full employment in New Hampshire, right? I mean, we're, we're now... Um, uh, we're the only state in the Northeast with population growth in 2021. Um, right. We're, you know, we're, you know what the real estate market is like right now. Talk to any broker or realtor that um, houses are still selling for, you know, 20% over asking now. Right. And if, if they stay on the market for more than a week. So, yep. um, and you're looking at real estate transfer tax and it's bringing in cra just crazy sums of money. Right. You know, um, well, inflation, you know, look, there's inflation at, at every level, including yes. certainly in housing prices. And yes. look, let's I mean, let's I don't want to I don't want to be unfair. It is uh, a good thing that the governor said that he was going to spend one hundred million dollars yeah. uh, of uh, unencumbered funds from the rescue plan Um uh, from the federal rescue plan, by the way, Governor, while the while you are bashing Washington, you're very happy to take one hundred million dollars from the American rescue plan passed by a Democratic majority, um, including our you know, Democratic congressional delegation, uh, take the one hundred million dollars and use it, I think, wisely to try to do something about the severe shortage of housing. Uh, because given what's going on with home sales, but also um, the way uh, that home prices, rents, workforce availability 
uh, are are a a crisis at this point. It's going to be hard to continue a a trajectory of growing the economy uh, without providing uh, places for people to live. And the cost of housing is soaring in the state. Um, and there is simply an in inadequate supply. So the $100 million is going to be spent in a variety of ways, sure. including support for localities um, and other uh, programs to try to uh, make some sense out of how do you keep New Hampshire beautiful and keep New Hampshire, New Hampshire, but also build the kind of housing that we need, um, mostly what's called I would say the missing middle of housing has become one of the watchwords these days, which is, well, you know, it, it's not exactly high rise apartment buildings and it's not single family homes, but where are all the kinds of, of middle uh, housing that are duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, yeah. where are all these middle, middle affordable housing that could um, help solve our crisis. And it, it has been good to hear uh, those kinds of discussions uh, in, in the State House. And um, I guess the last thing I want to point out sure. in a minute or so we have left is yeah, yeah. that uh, the governor also announced a new program to spend money um, putting together a, a, a better uh, veterans uh, campus uh, yeah. in Franklin, New Hampshire. And that yes. That's that's a good thing. Um, uh, the uh, the veterans home there uh, needs an update. Uh, the services for veterans are really important. Ten percent of the of of the population of New Hampshire are veterans, um, and uh, we wow. we often give uh, lip service only to serving the veterans community. Uh, it, it was certainly um, my observation when I was in Congress that we. Uh, often gave that there was often lip service given, but not enough done. Well, listen, Kevin, I want to yeah. thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Capital Close Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, here on WKXL podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. We've been talking with veteran journalist Kevin Landrigan, the unionleader.com. I would say the preeminent, the dean of New Hampshire <laughs> journalists, when it comes to knowing what's going on in the state, will be back next week with another Capital Post.